what I've learned over the years is asking for help. The tough part is sometimes it's different perspectives and you ultimately have to make the call and that's, that's not always easy. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Glory Media, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from each other, the question remains the same. What's your mission? I'm so excited to introduce this evening's guest. Barbara Simeon is the co-founder of Sundays, a Canadian-based e-commerce brand making waves in the furniture space. She is a passionate entrepreneur and has previously co-founded Field and Social and Ride Cycle Club, which have both grown to multiple locations. A big round of applause for Barbara. Thank you, man. Oh my gosh. We're so happy that you could be here with us. Um, how are you? I'm great. <laughs> so this is a fun thing to do on a Tuesday night. Um, yes, a Tuesday night, and we're so happy. Part of this program for us is to really talk about the entrepreneurial journeys of the incredible entrepreneurs in the community. Obviously, Vancouver is home to so many incredible brands and entrepreneurs that have built global exports and brands that are changing the world and people that are doing across, you know, making progress and making change and scaling and building uh, incredible companies from the ground up. So we're so, so happy to be here. Um, quick icebreaker, Barbara, you are an expert on the home. You're setting the table for the most incredible dinner party. Who are you inviting and what are you serving them? Expert on home, foodie for sure. I yeah. do love to eat. Um, I think I would probably invite, in terms of entrepreneurial inspo, maybe Sarah Blakely of Spanx and her husband Jesse Itzler, who's all about goals and just doing amazing things. Um, and maybe another couple, Yolanda Edwards and Matt Hranick. They're this like traveling duo that seem to have this really fun life of always traveling to the coolest places. I feel like the four of us, along with Mo, my husband, six of us, that would make for a good, <laughs> good dinner combo. Um, and I would probably make schnitzels. I'm from Ooh. Slovakia and that was like our Sunday meal, schnitzels and I make a mean potato salad, some sauerkraut. Yeah. Um, your opinion, if you're going to a dinner party, what do you think is the best gift to bring to a dinner party as a guest? Do you have like a go-to or kind of like a crowd favorite? I would probably lead with food. Um, you know, maybe take something off the host's hands and bring like an appy platter. I love to make a charcuterie board. I feel like that's always appreciated. You could always buy a beautiful board that you then leave the host. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so as someone that has built, and we're going to dive into this later in the interview, uh, but as someone has, that has built a company that, you know, creates furniture and is so involved in the home, do you have a piece of furniture or objet in your home that is, you know, has a great story behind it in terms of how you acquired it or a great memory behind it? It's not furniture, but it's related. It's a piece of art. Um, so my parents, when we were born, I've got two sisters. They bought everybody a piece of art. So I've had this piece that's now in my kids' room for the last 40 years. 
and it's, it's special, it's a piece from Slovakia, it came with us when we moved here when I was 12, and we've tried to carry on that tradition with our kids as well, so every time we've had a kid, we've bought a piece of art. I love that, I love that. Yeah. Um, so you're a serial entrepreneur with more than one startup on your CV, including Sunday's Furniture, Field and Social, and Ride Cycle Club. Most people would say that raising one company is uh, a lot to handle, but you've decided to get involved with several. Um, what, what has that experience been like, especially with this room that is full of other entrepreneurs and business owners? What has your experience been like raising uh, a, a, a family of companies? I'm definitely an accidental entrepreneur. I definitely didn't set out to have, you know, to be involved in three companies. It sort of happened. My background's in the nonprofit sector, and the first business we started was Ride uh, with a really good friend who was super passionate about spin, um, Ashley Ander, who's, who some of you might know. And we just, my husband and I just thought like this would be a fun way to, to try something new and, um, you know, work together on a business plan and never thought that would lead to another business and Field happened in a similar way where uh, we started the business, all the businesses were started with co-founders. So again, with someone that was passionate about food. Um, at the time, I was working at the UN, and for me, it was like a creative outlet that I would get to do. I thought it would just be like the marketing and community side of it. The way things worked out, I ended up getting in there and running the restaurant, making, making the salads for quite a few years. Um, but I learned a lot doing that. And then, um, yeah, Sundays was really just like out of a need that we saw in the market that shopping for furniture was super overwhelming. And so, um, yeah, I just saw, really saw a business opportunity and, and an opportunity to utilize the skills that we built with the other two businesses. And so if you could kind of summarize your portfolio businesses into like an elevator pitch, a one-liner, how would you describe them? They're so different. They're so different, but they're you know there's there's food and fitness and and ecom and brick and mortar. But I guess I guess the thread that maybe connects them or like what makes them similar in some ways. Um, they're all very focused. So kind of you know laser focused on spin, laser focused on salads. We don't do sandwiches at Field and Social or wraps. Like we're all about salads. And with Sundays, it's a very small, curated, thoughtful uh, collection. So yeah, very focused. And then I think um, marrying that focus with creating community. So with every business, we've tried to do that. The social part of Field and Social was really, it's right in the name. It was always meant to be a space for events and activations and collaborations. And we've tried to do the same at Ride and Sundays as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been to a few ride classes and there is definitely a community, uh, even though you're sweating and like swearing sometimes and it yeah. is, you know, uh, an experience. As community is a through line between the companies, what do you think has been a key tenant of connecting the communities, building and cultivating those communities? Because it's a really noisy world out there and there's so many distractions and uh, people competing for your attention. So what do you find has been the key to really building authentic connections? I think the way I've always approached it is like it often starts within a very 
quiet way with an idea and like often with no real agenda. So making a connection that maybe down the line will lead to some type of collaboration. So I would say like it's always been the long-term game rather than let's put on this huge community event that's going to happen next week and we're going to like invite all these people. It like has never really worked that way and so just like slow and steady I, I would say has been the approach and just like leveraging relationships. People are really willing to help I think if you ask um, and we've had a lot of fun just putting crazy you know creative ideas some of them have worked and some of them have maybe flopped but that's okay I think that's really interesting like the point that you bring up around um, going slow and steady and not you know we're, we're in a, a, a landscape in a culture where there's there's so much of a focus on instant gratification or, or moving quickly. And there is something to be said about pacing and allowing things to grow and cultivate themselves naturally without rushing the process, which I think is, is something worth talking about as well. For sure. I mean, rides, 10 years old, field is, you know, seven years old, Sundays will be going on four years. So, in some ways it feels like, oh, like these three businesses sort of just popped up, but like it's been a decade and um, yeah, just like slow and steady and and also trying to be like, I really believe in, in you know, um, the spirit of reciprocity and trying to help others with no expectation of getting something in return. And so I think if you kind of put that out into the world, it comes back. Yeah. So you started Sundays in 2019, um, and it's a pretty saturated and, and competitive market. Obviously, I think a lot of us have experience shopping for furniture in some shape or form, um, and that, can, that process can be a bit tedious and stressful. But you know, what was your unique thesis on the category when you started thinking about launching um, a direct-to-consumer brand? You know, it really came out of like our own need, my own need shopping for furniture as we were growing our family and moving from one apartment to the other and really getting overwhelmed by the whole furniture shopping experience. Um, I don't like, I'm more of a minimalist, I don't like a lot of stuff, I get really overwhelmed if I walk into, you know, a huge warehouse with like, or, or even like a huge department store full of stuff and so the idea was can we curate a line of very consistent, high quality pieces um, and marry that with a beautiful brand? Um, that was sort of the initial idea. Yeah, and we, you know, we talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and so much of the conversation is about how entrepreneurship can be such a, a beautiful vehicle to solving problems. And so if you consider that through the lens of Sundays, what is the problem what is the, and what's the solution that you're providing? I think we really want to make furniture shopping um, as easy as, as a Sunday morning. So that, like, like that great feeling that you have on a Sunday morning when you're drinking your coffee at home. It's you know, the day when you feel most at home. And so that's really everything from what we feature at Sundays, the products we make, but all the way to the delivery experience. So like one of the differentiators um, early on that we wanted to do was to offer free delivery on every item, free white gloves, a free assembly on larger items. 
uh, because the problem we saw was that furniture shopping was a pain point and it broke down particularly when it got to the delivery experience. Yeah, yeah, definitely pain points for sure. Um, and when we talk about the home, I mean, that is such an intimate, personal space um, and part of someone's life, and especially, you know, in terms of building a company around. What does the notion of, you know, sanctuary mean to you, perhaps both in a physical sense as well as a mental sense as well? And, and where does Sundays fit into that? Yeah, I think um, for me, when I think of sanctuary, I think like a peaceful mind, you know, decluttering, focus and inspiration, sort of like being inspired by your surroundings and the aesthetic. Um, it goes back to that idea of like minimalism and maybe fewer better things. To me, my home feels best when it's not full of stuff. We've got four young kids and so, you know, as minimal as we try and be with all their stuff, like there, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stuff there. Um, yeah. yeah. I think it's important to also note that you launched the company right before the world had to shelter into place. And so the, the kind of notion of shelter and sanctuary really changed for a lot of people in yeah. different ways. Did that change your perception of what the home could mean to people and how different pain points would arise when literally that was the only place that we were allowed to be in? Yeah, yeah, you raise a good point. It was three months before the pandemic started and I don't think we expected such a laser focus on the home and as a brand that was just starting in the home space, it was to our benefit. It came with a lot of challenges as well, but you know, there there was such a focus on home and and perhaps, uh, you know, the, the look um, at home through like work life as well and a lot of hybrid workspaces or you know people moving to uh, working from home um yeah it just meant that i think people were willing to invest in better more beautiful things because they were spending more time at home and so i mean like obviously the pandemic was a huge pain you know pain point in terms of raising a, a business but in general what are some of the challenges that you had building a direct-to-consumer brand specifically within that space um, outside of the pandemic, let's just say for now? I think we were very naive about how tough it is to build an e-com brand. I think had we known that, I'm not sure we would have started the business. <laughs> Uh, there's four co-founders and we sort of had product covered and ops covered and brand and community we felt pretty good about. But honestly, it wasn't even a year and a half into the business until I realized like, oh, we need a role like an e-com manager and the whole digital advertising space. That was a big learning curve for us. Um, so just like figuring out all of that. And of course, there's no playbook. It's not like you can look up how to scale a furniture brand and what should your percentage of ad spend be. I've tried, like I haven't found the playbook. You can write it. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know about that. But um, yes, many challenges along the way, of course, supply chain issues and you know the cost of freight being out of this world and what that meant in terms of delivery times and meeting customer expectations that's been so key for us at Sundays. And so the way we handled it was like really trying to get ahead of it with our customers. If we saw 
you know, a delay happening weeks in advance? How could we communicate that? Um, yeah, just juggling, juggling lots, lots of different factors. Yeah, a lot of factors, a lot of challenges. So what is your approach then in terms of uh, tackling those problems? Do you have, what kind of mindset do you get yourself into in order to tackle whether it's a supply chain issue or an e-com issue or maybe a site breakdown, whatever it is, like do you find that there is a through line in the way that you approach problems? I think so. I think um, I go to people, like I'm, I, I'm an introvert so I like to spend a lot of time alone but when it comes to problem solving I really like to talk, you know, to the team and to the other founders. And there's people in this audience who are on a text basis with me and you know we've got a group of um, some women entrepreneurs that I'm a part of so all of those things but I, what I've learned over the years is asking for help the tough part is sometimes it's different perspectives and you ultimately have to make the call and that's that's not always easy but but I do tend to go out first yeah yeah and, and building on that I read that you were relentless about messaging everyone on LinkedIn to raise awareness of the brand when you were starting out. What is your best advice for entrepreneurs on getting into the mindset of asking for opportunities to be bold, relentless, unapologetic about building those opportunities and those connections and, and not being shy about that? I think the great thing about when you launch a brand or even thinking about launching a brand, people are so willing to help you. Like it's actually a great time, especially if you're vulnerable um, with what you need help with or your ideas. So I, I don't know where the no shame thing came from, but I literally had no shame. My husband's like, I can't believe you messaged that person. Like, like we need we need more followers. We need people to come to this event. Like it like every I saw every touch point as a touch point that mattered. Um, yeah, like you got to be out there. I agree. I think even in our own experience, some of our biggest opportunities have come from just literally asking for the yeah. opportunity. And yeah. you, you the worst thing that could happen is that you get a no and that's that. And that's yeah. you're in the same boat that you were in to start with. But the best thing that could happen is that you open all these incredible doors and you could and it could be the opportunity that, you know, catapults you. Yeah. Um, and, and it might not be it might be a no right now, but could be a yes in the future. It could yeah, be that seed exactly that yeah. you're planting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you are, you know, the through line between a lot of your companies too that I've noticed is that the branding is on point. It is beautiful. You've built, and that obviously kind of contributes into cultivating communities. What makes a great brand experience in terms of the way that you present yourselves as brands, the way that you, uh, you know, in terms of the experience when people are either walking through the store or going through the site, what's, what's your rule? What's your law? I think what's been top of mind for all for all of the businesses is being like starting with a super clear vision and that then can help translate into you know visual identity we've always worked with awesome external partners that that, that have done that um, but like it, it's that vision that will allow you for brand consistency being clear on not just the look but the experience 
And then once you start building a team, being super clear on values so that, again, that what you're hoping to achieve with a look and words and copy um, translates into the service experience with customers. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, a lot of entrepreneurs will say that, you know, obviously hindsight is 2020, and a lot of interviews that we've had when we asked them for their best advice on that they would give to the younger selves, they would say, don't start a business. But it's because you go into it with so much blind optimism and, and stuff. Um, what do you think is a question or questions that every entrepreneur or leader should be asking of themselves before they decide to scale this daunting mountain of building a business uh, or, or service or community or brand? It's a good question, Lance. Maybe what comes to mind is like, what am I willing to give up? Like in those early months and years, like it's not that it's not a grind later, but like it's particularly overwhelming, especially when you're in a new industry, like subject matter that you don't know um, anything about. And so, yeah, like that, that might come with some sacrifice. And how do you muster up the courage to tackle, like scale those kinds of mountains, tackle hard challenges and everything? Like where does that come in from you, for you? None of this uh, was done, you know, alone. Like we've had multiple co-founders in all of the businesses and really amazing teams. And so I think that's who, I don't feel the pressure that it's, that it's up to me, um, yeah, that there's there's others, and that's part of the reason why we've always um, had co-founders in all the business to help mitigate risk and to help overcome those mountains. I think you touched on a really interesting point as well earlier about having your support group of friends, other founders, uh, people in your community. Um, what advice do you have on on building out that that network and the, that support group because that is something like entrepreneurship can be such a lonely uh, especially if you're a, a sole founder if you have co-founders at least you can talk to but what is your advice in really building out that like support group uh, to lean on I think I think there's some really great networks um, in the city or even across the country that are a little bit more formal so you know it's great to tap into some of those um, you know, in Vancouver, we've got the Forum and WeBC, uh, Spring Activator. Those are some great organizations. And then I think just building one-on-one -on -one relationships, whether that's DMing someone on Instagram, like, I'm really admiring what you're doing. Do you want to grab a coffee? Um, being out there, going to stuff like this. Um, it's hard to find the energy sometimes when you're working really hard on your business. But yeah taking the time to build out that network and just supporting each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, wanna, I wanna rewind a little bit uh, and go back to the earlier part of your career. Prior to starting your life as an entrepreneur, you actually worked at the United Nations headquarters in New York City, as you mentioned. Uh, can you unpack and talk a little bit about that? What were you doing over there? Um, and what was that life like? My like 18-year-old self was very excited when I got that job. I studied international relations and specifically um, community development. Maybe that's like where the community thread came from. Now looking back, but um, I 
got a job through their young professional program, which is a really amazing program for under 30-year-olds and different countries are eligible every year. Slovakia happened to be eligible one year, and so that's how I got in. Um, and I was doing program evaluations. So every year we looked at different thematic areas of the UN. It was when I was there, 2013 to 2016, um, we were um, doing a lot of work around the sustainable development goals. And uh, yeah, it was really cool to be working from pe with people from truly all around the world. It's very. And did that give you any perspective into what you're doing today? Like, how have you taken that experience to really uh, give yourself, kind of, whether it's a competitive advantage or extra insight, what has that experience been like? It was a really great opportunity to just learn a lot of new perspectives and diversity of ideas and thought and even just how the UN works is very interesting. It's obviously a huge organization, which means can be bureaucratic at times, but it's kind of amazing what they're still able to achieve in the world. And there are certain, you know, systems and processes and some of the formality of their program evaluation frameworks, I feel like have served me well uh, when I've been yeah, evaluating options for the business. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're obviously here in Vancouver. This is, as I mentioned, our first event that we've done here. And we're so, so happy to be here with everyone and meeting so many people. Um, obviously, some of Canada's greatest exports uh, and success stories have come from here in Vancouver. You've got, obviously, the Lululemons, the Aritzias, Hootsuites, and many more. What do you think is really unique about the entrepreneurial community here that cultivates such great industry leaders? Yeah, it's kind of cool. Like those are those are really amazing global brands. Um, I think there's a lot of creativity. Like sometimes it's a little bit hidden in Vancouver. I know when I moved back from being in New York for a few years, I felt like you really had to find it. But it's here. I think nature probably provides a lot of inspiration. Um, and we are like we are well positioned in terms of you know the port and our proximity to Asia Pacific um, so I think it's probably a mix of all of those factors and I've definitely found I know Vancouver can have a reputation for being a bit colder and tough uh, when you when you're new in the city but once you sort of like make some connections I feel like it can be quite a supportive and collaborative community here and I think that helps new entrepreneurs thrive yeah, I think from even from our perspective, seeing so many companies come out of Vancouver, uh, and as you mentioned, its proximity to other you know countries uh, and the ports and everything, there is such an intersectionality between different communities and industries that has really lent itself really as a perfect place to build opportunities and 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 scale companies in a way that is unique compared to other parts of Canada as well. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and you can do it over great food. I mean, it's such a great food city. Oh my gosh. Um, are there any specific resources or supports that you would recommend to our listeners, other entrepreneurs? You kind of pointed out a few earlier mm -hmm. um, that can really be tapped into here in Vancouver or, or BC, uh, you know, in a larger standpoint. Yeah, I mentioned a few of those earlier. And I think what's helps, you know, sometimes those organizations are also very helpful when you're when you're initially starting out, but finding a support once you're a few years in can sometimes be a bit tougher. So I would say 
build your own. Like find your, find your people, your group, and I would encourage um, for it to be sort of intersectional in terms of industries and not just one industry. If you're in the food space, don't just stick with other food brands, but you know. And having a diversity of perspectives. I mean, from a larger standpoint, Canada in general offers such a diversity of perspectives because we have such a multicultural community that lends itself well to providing different points of view that help inform businesses and, and communities and everything as well. Agreed, yeah, and I feel yeah very lucky with some of the relationships um, that we've been able to build with. Um, yeah, we have a WhatsApp group and there's literally many texts on it daily yeah. <laughs> where we provide yeah support. Um, kind of building on the Canada question, I think Canada is such an interesting place to build a company because we've, and not even just a company, but talent and cultivating talent. Obviously we have big cultural talents like Drake or The Weeknd and things like that that have come out of Canada, as well as companies. What do you think is the Canadian perspective on business and how do you think it has served as a strength for us? And in what ways do you think it has might have served as, as a hurdle for in other ways? Something we think a lot about, particularly at Sundays, is we're trying to break into the U.S. market and you know what makes a successful entry into the U.S. market as a Canadian brand. I think, I mean, this is a generalization, but I think a lot of Canadian entrepreneurs are maybe a little bit more humble, and so um, I think they they sort of want to do it right and build a really good business before they expand. Um, where in the US, it's sort of like here's, again, a generalization, but particularly over the you know early 2000s when you had a lot of D to C brand explosion, it's like here's this plan and we promise we're gonna execute. This is how it's, this is how it's gonna work. Um, I think here we sort of want to do, prove the concept first. And I think that's helpful to make sure that you've got a feasible business. Do you think in some ways though that, um, and this is a conversation that we have with a lot of entrepreneurs too, that the, the balance between um, progress and perfection is kind of this balancing act where you can iterate and perfect and perfect but there comes to a point where actually that ends up being a detriment because then you just never end up getting things out there. What's the balance for you in terms of building your company uh, between progress and, and perfection? Done is better than perfect. <laughs> um, and, and if you're not, I think if you're not making mistakes, if you're not sort of like flailing along the way, I don't think you're going fast enough. Um, yeah, perfection. I mean, if I look back um, in my 20s and starting my career, I remember one boss pulling me aside and he's like, do you think you're a perfectionist? <laughs> and he, he's the one that told me 80%, like 80% done is better than, you know, not done and perfect. And that's always stuck with me and it's really how I, yeah, how I approach and the 80-20 rule. And nothing's ever final. You can always iterate yes. and build. And you can change your mind. Yes, exactly, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, what do you think is the lesson that has taken you the longest to learn as an entrepreneur? What's something that really kind of took a while to kind of click for you? 
there's many. How do I pick <laughs> one? <laughs> um, where have I maybe like gained a little bit more confidence over the years? Um, I think with the early businesses, like in early days of field and social, I was really scared to hire someone. I thought like I'm 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 the best person to run this business. I'm I hold the culture. It, it has to look this way. Nobody else is going to be able to do that. And when I had my second kid, we were opening another store and I had to hire the first store manager and realize the store manager did a way better job than I was doing, that I, like, I wasn't a great store manager. Um, and so with, with Sundays, I think I've tried to take the approach of like seeking help sooner and that's not always paid. That's not always you know, bringing on um, a team member that you're hiring but it could be getting help from a peer, from a mentor. Yeah. Um, that's the other thing I didn't mention earlier in terms of support. There's some great peer mentoring programs, some great mentoring programs as well, and definitely benefited from those. Yeah. Um, as we kind of like round out this interview and, and kind of wind down, recently, in case um, anyone isn't familiar, our, our previous brand used to be called Bay Street Bowl. And now we've changed that to glory for a variety of different reasons that I can talk to you all about later. But we also now like to ask, what does it mean to be, what does glory mean to you? What does it mean to be glorious? How do you define that for yourself? I think glory, when I think about that, what it makes me think of is a platform for impact. Um, I think as entrepreneurs, sometimes we have the opportunity to have that platform, and so how are we, you know, how are we utilizing that to provide, shed light on, provide glory to, you know, is it another business, is it another in individual, is it community impact, um, yeah. And, and so we're taping this for our podcast called Mission Critical, which you, there's uh, tents on, on each of the tables with a QR code to listen to this interview as well as many of our other ones. But we always like to round out the interview by talking about mission and purpose. So what is your mission? What's the ultimate big picture goal for, for you? I think if I, if I think about like what sort of lights me up and what gives me the most energy and what gets me most excited, I think it's um, seeing sort of what initially seem as like disparate ideas, creative ideas, opportunities out there in the world and I just start seeing the connections that can be made um, and, and bringing that together in some way, whether that's in our own business, whether it's in the community, whether it's connecting other business, my mind sort of like just tends to go there, how to how to connect those dots. Yeah, and I, I can say that you are truly such a great community connector and builder of bridges and relationships. The way that I've met you in Toronto and then now we're on a DMing basis on Instagram where we can chat and, and you are such a great community leader. So um, thank you so much for our chat and, and a big round of applause for, for Barbara. Thank you, Lance. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you liked, who you'd like to see on the show, and anything else you want to share. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission? <laughs>